you know, I had one person say, I thought the big identity crisis was coming out of college, trying to find who you are, find a job, but that was inventing yourself. That was making yourself try living a life, living for your kids, and then having them move away. This woman had gone through a divorce, remaking yourself, reinventing yourself later in life was to her so much more difficult. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hello there, welcome to the show. My name's Ash Deneef, I'm your host. And here's the deal. Populations are aging and people are living longer than ever before. That means that traditional residential care options are not gonna be the right fit for an increasing number of people. We need new ideas that fill the gaps between living comfortably in your own home and the high care environments of a residential facility. Well, today's episode features two new and different solutions to this problem that focus on social engagement, financial stability, and above all else, options. Our first guest is Riley Gibson, the president of Silver Nest, an American company helping older adults rent out a spare room in their home to a would-be tenant of all ages. The company is helping to bring social engagement and community to isolated older adults, as well as reducing financial burdens of homeowners. Let's get going, and I'll let Riley explain. Hey, Riley, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Hey, for our, our audience, they may not have heard of, of your company, Silver Nest, and the work that you guys are doing over there. Maybe you can take us back before that and explain how you got here and, and who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I started my career kind of on the design and new product development side, worked for a number of different tech startups, ran my own startup, and it was actually during the beginning of the pandemic where I was looking for something new and met up with an old board member of mine, Wendy Burkhart, who was the original founder of Silvernest. And, you know, it just clicked of a way to leverage technology to connect people to share their home, earn extra income. That kind of mission-driven technology company really attracted me and was interesting. So joined and now I'm two years in. Awesome. And uh, a lot of our audience is in the aged care space and, and looking at, you know, a lot of the problems that we have internationally, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of common problems here. Could you maybe paint for us the, the sorts of gaps and, and holes that Silverness was trying to fill when it was created? There's a number of different issues that I think home sharing kind of uniquely solves together, which is, again, what's so interesting about it and just the concept of home sharing in general. So first, in the U.S., you have, you know, housing prices just increasing exponentially. And for a lot of individuals, special, especially older adults on fixed income, you know, it can honestly be a challenge to stay in their home. And most Americans, especially post-pandemic, want to age in place. They want to stay independent, stay in their homes, but a lot of financial issues come up with that. In the meantime, you have what we all went through is just learning kind of what isolation feels like. So a lot of older adults that are living alone in their homes often 
especially through COVID, felt more and more isolated, which has implications on on health. And in addition, if there weren't more needs, again, because housing prices have been increasing, there's a need for more affordable housing options. So that's where Silvernest and, and the original idea was how can we kind of leverage existing inventory and housing in new and creative ways and kind of solve this problem of how do we help older adults reduce social isolation, increase financial resilience, while at the same time opening up new bedrooms for those that need more affordable housing close to where they work, where they live. So it really, I think that's what's so interesting to me about it is it solves a number of different kind of macro issues and leverages something we have an abundance of, which is extra rooms, because we, especially Mm. in America, like our big three, four bedroom houses, but that can be kind of isolating, especially as you're aging and your needs are changing, but you still want to remain in your home. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking that what you described there about it might get more difficult to stay in your home and age in place just financially. I think maybe people who would experience that a lot are people who might have lost a partner who who also had some pension or some extra money coming in, and they would also be quite heavily affected by the onset of isolation, right? Yeah, we talk to a lot of users and the we notice a lot of users that are at those like major points of transition in their lives. So loss of partner, we see a lot of users who are early 50s who, you know, might have gone through empty nest, the kids leave, maybe a divorce. So there's a lot of major life transitions that happen through your 50s and 60s, you're preparing or thinking about retirement. There's all these things that come up that kind of have you thinking about how do I not just get through this, but how do I kind of change things up and really thrive in this phase of life? And I think that's where, you know, a lot of people look to, you know, what are the different options for me? And home sharing seems to be increasingly one of those options for people. Mm, I I can see that it might be uh, a way to it's an assistance to aging in place. It's not a replacement mm-hmm. or a different solution, but it's a kind of augmentation there. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, that's from the side of the homeowner or the person who's renting out a room. What about from the people who are looking for rooms? What What's it solving there? Yeah, so on, on that side, it really comes down to just offering more affordable housing options, different housing options. And on the renter side, you see so much more kind of, I think, diversity in terms of situations you know, it's everything from nurses who, you know, need to be close to work and are, you know, staying someplace for three or six months to grad students or students that are just trying to find a place that's a little more quiet than campus, all the way to, you know, the same kind of older adult that's looking to reduce their expenses, spend a little more on travel and things they want to do versus being overly cost burdened from a housing standpoint. So on the renter side, it's it's so interesting because there's just so many different stories. But the common thread is I want a great place to live close to where I work or to grandkids. And, you know, I don't want to pay half of what I make to live there. Mm. Well, it reminds me of a conversation that I have with my grandma a lot, and she always <laughs> says no, and it's kind of a running joke now, but she's she's alone in her house and she's got a few bedrooms. Like, well, there's plenty of international students here looking for a place to stay. Like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to yeah. do that. Is that a, a common sort of uh, challenge you have to overcome, people's reluctance to share? 
Absolutely. And actually, I'm surprised by how many people we talk to where they either have been doing this for a really long time, and it's just like they've kind of had a roommate through since a divorce or something and looking for another one. So I I assumed coming into this, everyone would have that kind of initial resistance. I'm all, I keep being surprised how many people it is second nature to. That being said, there is the majority of people where that is the reaction. It's, you know, I I value my privacy. That sounds, you know, I don't want to let a, a stranger in. And I think that's where it's really hard to envision home sharing when you just think of it as, as would you open up a room to a stranger? You even framed it as an international student, which I think is is good. That provides a little bit, you can envision that a little more. And that's where we're trying to work with more organizations, you know, whether it's a Teach for America or service year programs, whether it's tapping into veterans groups. I think we're really looking at what are existing sort of communities where there is an inherent level of trust. And maybe that's a place to come in with home sharing because, again, there is that sort of initial trust and it's easier for people to, to imagine that. The other thing we say is it's impossible to imagine just a stranger, but once you start looking at profiles or listings and there's a real human being there, I think there's an openness to that, you know, that comes from that experience. Hence why some of, I think, the online tools are helpful versus just in-person pencil and paper just trying to match people. Mm, Well, I could see that it might be a bit less daunting as well. You don't have to tee up, you know, in-face meets if you can just read something about a person and, and kind of get a picture of what they'll be like before you have to commit to meeting them. That could be helpful. Yeah, you can screen out a lot early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No loud parties, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, something that you guys and Silver Adventures, who sponsor this podcast, share is obviously the word silver in your name. And there's this implication of a certain age bracket that goes along with that word. Is that, or was that the initial intention with the company that it would serve a quote unquote silver market? Or is that a, a nice shiny word? <laughs> it was always the intention that, that the company would serve an older demographic, just because that, again, that is where a lot of, especially on the, the host side of the equation, you know, there's a lot of older adults struggling with financials and retirement. They're often the ones that have high home ownership rates and extra space. So that part of the equation just always fit. And we have a lot of conversations internally about should we limit ourselves to an older demographic? Should we really target anyone who's looking to, to home share? And so over time, we've really tried to be more inclusive and not you know provide age restrictions or anything. So we do get a lot of breadth in terms of who's coming to Silverness to list a space or to rent. That being said, even with that broad kind of brush, are especially again coming back to the host side, the demographic is pretty consistent just in terms of that early 50s going through major transitions. That that has always rung true whether we market to that group or not. It's it's interesting. One thing that I I saw on on your website and and the media online is there's no kind of pigeonholing with the language, but a lot of the images and videos and and sort of stories about real hosts you have are older adults. So it obviously is just something that comes out in the wash. 
Yeah, yeah. It just, uh, yeah, this, to your point, the stories we get happen to be that a lot of the users that come in. So it, it's sort of as a, yeah, it's just part of the DNA, I think. And, you know, again, we want to be as inclusive as possible. But I always find it interesting how we always find ourselves back at really optimizing for older adults. Mm. Well, it's interesting when you think about having a renter come in. If we say the example of there is an older adult who's renting out a room and there's an older adult who's moving in, mm-hmm. it, I can see that there might be, because one person would own the property, there might be a sort of power imbalance or someone may not feel as much like it's their home as the other person. Do you find that's the case? Yeah, I think that it's something we talk a lot about. On the one hand, you know, that power imbalance is is a good thing in certain terms because it is someone's home. You know, it's not a perfect balance. But on the housemate side, they, again, to your point, they really want to feel like it is their home. It's a home share. It's more than just a room rental. So there's a lot of education that goes into, you know, should you list furnished or unfurnished? If it's furnished then it presents like there is less choice in terms of the the renter making their own space. Mm. So we've really tried to think about partnering with groups that help people clean out a room. Oftentimes, one of the bigger barriers that we come across is people just feeling overwhelmed by a room that's just turned into storage from a kid that has left their belongings. You know, someone doesn't want to move their stuff out and free up that space. So that's where... It, honestly, it's been a such an interesting exercise into the psychology of midlife transitions and just how much comes along with that, how many challenges there are, how many opportunities there are. And it is, you know, I had one person say, I thought the big identity crisis was coming out of college, trying to find who you are, find a job. But that was inventing yourself. That was making yourself mm try living a life, living for your kids, and then having them move away. This woman had gone through a divorce, remaking yourself, reinventing yourself later in life was to her so much more difficult. And so a lot of those identity issues, the transition kind of plays into how do you set up your space and eventually open yourself to a housemate and find that better balance. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting to, to highlight that. I have. Uh, I was talking to a friend whose mum seems like they're they're kind of struggling with that at the moment, and a little bit lost around things. I think maybe having some sort of permanency in in a, a social network, like you guys are, are kind of facilitating here with Silvernest, that won't fix everything, but can give you a, a starting point, right, to build off. Yeah, hopefully it can be one step and a nudge. And I, while we do home sharing, I my bigger vision for the company, what I really hope we can promote is just. Someone once said life is lo- is uh, wider than it is long, which just really stuck with me as a quote of like, especially as we move into retirement, it's easier for the world to kind of close in and your world to get smaller. I think home sharing is one mechanism to start reopening your world. And there's lots of other ways and cool new tools coming online as devastating as the pandemic is i think it opened a lot of people's eyes to how technology can assist or help so a lot of what we think about is for us through home sharing but eventually through other mechanisms how can we help people sort of open up their world through this stage of life and i think there's so much opportunity there Mm. 
As you're talking there about different ideas, it reminded me of something, having a conversation a couple of years ago now with another American who explained that it's quite common in residential aged care in America for people to share a room. And this is something that in Australia we don't really see very often unless it's a couple or some sort of voluntary situation. But perhaps there's scope in that sense as well that instead of people who don't know each other and don't necessarily get along being forced to share a room, your technology could be applied to make sure there's a a better fit there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a free business idea for you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go we'll talk and later it. and work out the details. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need a cut of that. <laughs> so, what do you reckon the uh, the future of aging in place is going to look like? I mean, this is this is one possible, you know, avenue. What what other things do you think are we going to see augmenting or replacing aging in place? There's so much to look forward to. There's so much that I'm excited about just in this space. Mostly, I see more energy around just reframing aging and thinking about aging differently. I think sometimes our language, even just we've talked about even just aging in place, frames the problems and the solutions, kind of how we think about the aging experience. I think I I think the framing is limited. And I think oftentimes the companies and organizations that think about aging we go naturally to, here's what you're losing. Here's how we can replace that or fix that. But I think there's a lot of interesting things that are emerging to say, this can be a great or the best stage of life. Yes, we need to solve the problems, but how do we think about, again, sort of that discovery, that opening up of life through this stage of life? And so I think there's so much opportunity to just change our language around aging, change how we think about aging, to really provide more possibility, more expectations. So I'm really excited about that. And then I think, you know, again, coming not to over talk about COVID, but it is such a dramatic instant catalyst. I think, as you know, we saw in the US, just so many people think differently about how they want to live or age in place Mm -hmm. or not. And, you know, I think it really emphasizes the importance of continuing your social network, living amongst a community with greater age diversity. There's so many things and issues that I think it brought up. So I think it'll just be an amazing catalyst to, again, force a lot of people to think differently about the aging experience. And I think that'll just bring about a lot of different tools and mindsets that we haven't even come across yet. Yeah, fantastic. So much is changing. And and you're right, the way that we think about such fundamental things changing too. Riley, thank you so much for your time. We've talked about lots of different stuff here. People can find out more at silvernest.com. Thanks again, Riley. Thank you. Well, a big thanks to Riley Gibson for his time. Coming up next after the break, I spoke to Jake Rothstein from Upside Home. Now, Upside Home are a Florida-based company that's helping older adults move out of their empty nest into multi-generational apartment buildings where they can access community events, care services, and ultimately more independence. And that's coming up after this quick break. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey-Barlin. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back. And they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares? Where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of Age Care's challenges 
and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Murray, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, Daniela. <laughs> I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Murray. You, and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. Jake, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, a real pleasure. You're uh, calling in from Fort Lauderdale, right? In, or over in Florida. Yeah, sunny South Florida, Fort Lauderdale here. It's nine, probably in the 80s in the middle of winter. So That's like, uh, I think, 20s, like mid-20s for us using Celsius. I just know 100 Fahrenheit is like, yeah, no one likes that. Very hot. <laughs> Nice. Well, people might know your story and the work you're doing with Upside Home, but could you tell us about your background and, and how you came to this company and, and what the mission is? Sure. So, got my start in this industry based on a personal family need. My grandfather was diagnosed, this was probably back in 2013, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, my grandmother, who was 82 at the time, was trying to care for him and struggling with that. And I was working in enterprise software sales, traveling a lot, on the road a lot, working remote a lot. Uh, and she would call me multiple times a week. Hey, Jake, can you come and just give me a break? I, my girlfriends are calling me. She was still very active and mobile. And so she'd need to get out of the house. And so she'd call me and say, mm. hey, can you just come sit with your grandfather for an hour or two here and there? And I did it for a while. And it became, at some point, it became pretty cumbersome. I had a real job. I had to work. I remember one day calling a bunch of home care agencies locally. Uh, to, they were in Miami. And I had a simple request. I said, hey, can you come and just, or can you have someone sent over a care? It doesn't actually need to be a caregiver. It just need to be a babysitter, basically, to come sit with my grandfather to relieve my grandmother. They're like, no way. We can't do that. We ha Our caregivers are on a set schedule. You need to book a minimum of 20 hours a week. It doesn't work like that. You can't just do a minimum of, uh, you know, an hour. So I said, that's crazy. Like, how, how can we not have that kind of flexibility? My grandmother's life doesn't work that way. And so I remember calling uh, my cousin, Andrew, and I was like, Andrew, we should start a business. So we did. We pulled some money together. We built an app. We called it Papa after what we called our grandfather. And fast forward six or seven years now, and Papa is now doing thousands of visits across the country every day and has grown to you know a tremendous scale. And that's how we got started in the industry. And then what we realized, we started seeing what happened to my grandmother after my grandfather started progressing. We wound up moving him to a traditional senior living facility. She couldn't care for him, him anymore. So he wound up going to a memory care facility locally. And she was stuck in this big two-story house that they had built together. She had recently had been recovering from knee replacement surgery. She couldn't walk up and down the stairs easily or at all. And she was now forced to do all of the things that she, he used to help her with on her own uh, for the first time in her whole mm -hmm. life, now at 87, and in otherwise perfect health. So we sold her house and moved her into an apartment in the same neighborhood. It was a neighborhood that she was had spent the last 30 years in, so she was comfortable. She had her friends nearby. She had her local grocery store and local pharmacy. And I became this, this what we're now calling the home manager. And I said, like, oh, my God, there must be millions of people like my grandmother who suddenly find themselves alone at 85, 87 years old. And just they're, in health, they're healthy. They don't need care, traditional care. They don't need help showering and bathing and, and eating. But they need help with some basic stuff. And so that's what that was the beginning of Upside Home. Like, how can we... Number one, make this period of life more affordable for people. But number two, how can you give them the things that they need that they might 
alternatively have to get in a traditional senior living community, but do it outside the walls of community, right? We're talking about the development of tech and the development of the gig economy and how all these services are now relatively easy for a millennial or a Gen Z to access on an app or whatever. But for someone like my 87-year-old grandmother, she has trouble accessing this stuff. So like, how can we make this really simple? So that's, that was the founding of, of Upside Home. So that's how we got to where we are today, family. Yeah, great. So what's the service that you're providing then? You, you had this problem that you need to take care of your grandma, but she's not ready for a facility. She may never be ready for a facility, but she needs something in between. What sort of solutions did you arrive at? Yeah, so we came up with, it's funny because we started with this idea of creating fully managed Golden Girls houses. We said, okay, well, everyone mm. likes this show, The Golden Girls from the 80s and the people that, you know, uh, that we talked to today, the younger generation just doesn't even know what that is. We started thinking or conceptualizing around building fully managed Golden Girls homes, single family houses, two or three bedrooms. We can put people together with roommates and that can help prolong financial well-being. Realized that that was not a very scalable approach. And then we started thinking about, well, how can we get this to scale? And that's now what we're, you know, we sort of moved to this idea of working with traditional multifamily operators that operate thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of units across the country and the world where we take their excess inventory, we put older adults in these units, and then we add simplified access to a layer of services, things like transportation and grocery shopping and accompany transportation to a doctor's appointment and activities and events, things that are aimed to really duplicate the experience that a person might get in a traditional senior living community, but in doing it in a much more flexible way uh, and a much less stigmatized way. And for people that are, aren't quite ready for that. And to be clear, like we see a absolute and growing need for traditional senior living. We just saw that there was this big gap from the time that a person might move out of the house or might not be able to live in the house that they raised their kids in to the time that they truly need assisted living or memory care. Um, and there wasn't a lot of good flexible options, options that ba the baby boomers in specific really are craving. Cool. Well, I want to talk about the continuum in a moment, but just to, to kind of return to what you're saying that you're working with I'm guessing like apartment building developers or the companies that run them and they'll have empty apartments or units or condos, whatever the word is you use, and you'll then rent those from the company and use them to house multiple older adults in the same sort of unit. Is that right? Exactly. In the same unit or in a cluster of units. We're thoughtful about how we select and where we select units. We do it around community centers like JCCs and YMCAs. I don't know if they have those in Australia, but we're, we're focused on using the existing infrastructure, both in the multifamily apartment side, but also on the community infrastructure side in order to create this sort of hub and spoke model for senior living. So our feel is kind of we're building the biggest senior living community in the world without laying a single brick. We're sort of doing like what Airbnb did to the hotel industry. We're doing that to the senior living industry for this period of time in that sort of those gap years. And those gap years are getting longer, right? As people age and they get older and they're living longer and they have a higher quality of life as they're living longer, it becomes how can instead of having how do we care for these people? It's how can we prevent having to care for these people or how can we prolong the need um, to actually have to produce or provide care for people? And we can do that by prevention. We can do that by making sure that they're in the right environment to age. We can do it by making sure that the units that we put them in are ADA compliant and accessible and that they have the right shower grab bars and bed rails and threshold covers that are necessary to, to maintain independence and to reduce fall risk and, and things like that. Cool. So you say that it sits somewhere between 
remaining in your home and aging in place and going to a full-time care facility. This, I'm guessing you have services that can kind of help the transition if there is a transition. What do the services look like? Yeah, absolutely. So if someone does need care, and in many cases, we're finding that, of course, people are going to age with us and we anticipate people aging with us. And our goal, obviously, is to keep people as long as they as we can feasibly and safely keep them in our units. Uh, but there might be a day in time where someone develops Parkinson's or someone develops dementia and they can no longer safely live in an independent type of environment. Um, and we have a couple of options. We work with independent home care operators that are vetted by us in, in all the local markets that we operate in that can come in and provide care, traditional certified care. If that is not an option for people for cost or uh, affordability or convenience, we can help with that. We, and we do. We help with that transition for people into traditional senior living. And so we have senior living partners in all the local markets that we operate in that we can help make that transition very easy for the families and for the older adults themselves to get them the care that they need when they need it. And, and we have eyeballs on people all the time, right? Our home managers are interacting and engaging with our residents in many cases daily uh, and in engaging with, our, with the family members, the adult children of those residents daily. And so we're acutely aware of when trigger events might happen or when in- incidents might happen, like a fall or like leaving the oven on or leaving the front door unlocked one too many times, we start seeing the signs and we're able to make really pointed recommendations and then help actually guide that process into a community or a facility that might be better suited for that person. So did you end up having like entire buildings that are older adults or did you have a mixed intergenerational sort of living situation? Yeah, we don't. We don't want full buildings that are all older adults. We really want that intergenerational mix. Uh, we think it's really important. We One of the f- main takeaways that we learned from Papa was that this bond between the young and the old is so incredibly powerful, not just for the old person, but for the young person as well. And so over the last few decades in the U.S. and, and probably everywhere, most of the developed world, We've been age segregating sort of intentionally, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, but the, the output or the outcome has been age segregation. We've been putting building buildings that are on cheaper land outside in the suburbs and putting older people in those buildings and delivering care as a sort of reactionary type of product. Senior living has become a care product is what I'm trying to say, basically. And and I think that that age segregation, removing people from the communities that they know and love, removing people from the comfort of those communities increases the rate of decline. And so we wanted to bring these communities back together. We want to have people of all ages. Um, so like we can have a unit with a 95 year old and the unit right next door is a couple in their thirties with young kids. And there's mm. magic to that. There's really, there's magic to that. Do you say that these kind of, these solutions within the continuum of care, the, this is kind of the future of, of where living for older adults is going or where do you see things developing? It's a great question. The future is bright for, I think, everyone across the continuum. There, it, there are going to have to be a lot of different options. What we're finding every day, we're realizing that people want choice. They want a lot of choice. It's And it can be very specific. I want an apartment with eastern exposure. I want the carpet to be brown. I want walk-in showers. And I want a screened-in patio. And we have this unique ability to provide those that optionality. But the reality is, is that there's options across the whole spectrum. So if people want a dining room in, in the on the first floor of their building, they're not going to get that with us. We don't offer dining rooms on the first floor of the building because we're in regular, you know, mixed age communities. We do offer pre-prepared meals that can be delivered to your door every two days. But 
there's going to need to be options for everyone. Um, but the reality is this aging demographic shift is real. There is 11,000 or 11,000 people or 12,000 people a day turning 65 in the US. I don't know what the stats are in Australia, but I'm sure they're significant. And so, yeah, there's going to need to be a lot of options. And I think there is no one size fits all approach. The more flexible providers can be, the more personalized and customized they can be with their residents or future residents, the, the better success they'll have. That's what we're seeing. Yeah, that's great. I'm wondering when, when you're over 65, maybe you're into your 80s and, and you're needing care. Have you thought about what kind of flexible arrangement you'd like? Yeah, you know, honestly, I tell this to my parents. Like, we're bu- I'm building this for them maybe, but we're also building this for ourselves. Like, we're looking at the options that we have today and we're like, okay, what if we're in this situation? Let's put ourselves into these people's shoes. It's interesting. Like, we talked to some really interesting people that have led really interesting lives that are now living with us people that traveled with global rock bands and like earned PhDs and taught literature. Like these people lived such rich lives and we think they deserve to live, to continue to live those rich lives, even in their older, older years, not just being a one size fits all type of type, type of community. Awesome. Well, anybody listening can find out more information at Upside Home. That's UpsideHOM.com. Jake, thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget that each Friday, we've got a fresh episode of our new show, Who Cares?, in which Daniela and Maury take another look at the ideas we've been discussing in today's episode and how they might affect all of us working in the aged care industry. It's fun, thought-provoking, and just a little bit silly. And the good news is it's all right here in the podcast feed. So you don't have to click anywhere else. But if you want to make sure you don't miss out, hit the subscribe button and you'll find out exactly when that episode is available. Anyway, we'll see you next week.